0: Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world, with Ani Avedisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Welcome to the Christmas 2020 edition of Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind, add two drops of optimism, give it all a good hard shake and pour, dress it with the olives of grace and empathy, sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini. The show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo. In today's tedious, sometimes hideous, often devious, and seriously, help me Jesus, crazy little world. Oh, wait, it's Christmas coming up. We've just had solstice. Oh! (laughs) Merry Christmas everyone, blessed solstice. Whatever you celebrate, I hope you have fun. And since it is the solstice, Christmas, whatever, dial 1-800-Prophet-of-my-people edition, I will dispense with our customary long-winded introduction to the show. It is a bit long-winded, isn't it? But I will just say, for those who are new to the show... First of all, welcome and thanks for being here. Now, very quickly, we are not politically correct on this show because we're free thinkers. We're not automatons or stinkers. Our goal is to promote the concept of the spirit inhabiting the human and living our lives from a higher perspective. That is always a good idea. Now, what does that mean, you ask? And I shall tell you. It means raising our awareness to where we dismiss that cow poo poo churned out daily by politicians and media. Because, my darlings, if you haven't already figured it out, you know, they serve a dark agenda. One that strives to create a world populated by brainwashed, people-minded slaves to the system. People who would happily stay at home, wear ten masks and three condoms all day long renew their toxic death jabs annually in return for receiving a monthly stipend. And may I say a paltry monthly stipend. And oh, what a great life they think that that will be. But it won't, you see. I mean, how could it be? Hey, don't leave the house unless absolutely necessary. Cash in your independence and all of your claims to sovereignty. Become a remote controlled robot with no motivation And never worry about having an original thought ever again. Oh, my God, people, what a waste of an incarnation. And how disappointing to know that so many are actually looking forward to living this way. How could you want to live that way? What is the poise? I mean, what is the poise? What What is a poise? I'd like to know. And I haven't even sipped my drink yet. What is the point of a physical incarnation if you're going to live as an automaton? Personally, I value free will. It's the reason we created physical worlds, to see where our free will would take us. Well, we haven't done so very well, have we? But we are about to. We are about to score some major brownie points on this planet. So let's see. Today is December 23rd, 2020. Ho, ho, ho. And I'm going to say it's a Christmas season like no other in our lifetime. Of course, we're in the middle of this war between the light and the dark, between the freedom versus the tyranny. And our world is filled with villainy and very little chivalry. And unless we fix it, well, personally, I don't see the point of living here. But I believe we are fixing it. And I am so very hopeful, so very hopeful and positive about the light emerging victorious. Now, as I see it, it can be no other way. I mean, what is darkness? Darkness is an absence of light, which leads to errors in perception, which leads to wrong actions. And our society, well, it's knee deep in errors of perception and wrong actions right now. So we're approaching this great awakening, right? This uh, great awakening of mass consciousness. And those things are never easy. You know, before the illumination and the restructuring comes the realization that change is needed. For far too many people, this comes as a shock. And to those people, I say, hold my beer, darlings. There is so much more to come and it's going to knock your socks off. So keep your shoes on. Well, a blessed solstice to you all and a Merry Christmas and whatever else you celebrate. It's time to give thanks for the opportunity to take part in such a biblical event in our species history and evolution. So solstice, what is it exactly? And when did it become Christmas? I've had a lot of questions come in for that. Well, the word solstice is derived from the Latin. And then um, I'll call it Latin English. It went from the Latin to the English. It means the sun is standing still, basically. So two solstices occur every year. We witness the shortest day of the year on the 21st of December and the longest day of the year on June 21st of the year, every year. And that helps us to figure out the seasons, you know, like summer and winter. So this winter, the winter solstice 2020, was Monday the 21st of December. And um, that was the shortest day and the longest night, because with the shortest day comes the longest night. So the winter solstice marks the shortest day of the year, well, in the northern hemisphere. That's when the sun appears at its most southerly position directly overhead at the far, far away Tropic of Capricorn. Now the situation is the reverse, of course, in the summer sub- southern hemisphere. Uh, there, the December solstice marks the longest day of the year and the beginning of summer in places such as Argentina, Australia, and South Africa. When I was a kid growing up in England, I always used to envy those pictures of the Australians having Christmas pudding on the beach in their bikinis. Oh. Anyway, so on the night of December 21st, Jupiter and Saturn uh, appeared closely aligned, so closely aligned in the sky that they looked like a double planet. You know, that, that close approach is called by astrologers a conjunction. And how wonderful it is because um, this Christmas it's being given the nickname the Christmas Star. And apparently, I am told that you'd have to go all the way back to March the 4th, 1226. 1226. I mean, that's even before Betty White was born, to see a closer alignment between the objects visible in the night sky. So there we are, how exciting it is. Uh, but we also do mark other seasonal transitions. Of course, the equinoxes, spring and fall. They occur when the sun's rays are directly over the equator. And on those two days, everyone has an equal length of day and night. And the summer solstice is when the sun's rays are farthest north over the Tropic of Cancer, giving us the longest day and the official start of summer in the northern hemisphere. So solstices, equinoxes, they mark our season. Winter solstice, of course, great source of joy. It's the return of the sun. The sun, S-U-N, that giant ball of fire and gas up in the sky, returns to us, and the days will get longer, and we like that, because we all like daylight. It's easier to work in the daylight, especially back in the days before gas lies in incandescent light. So farmers all over the world held celebrations during the winter solstice. As far as we know... Winter solstice is the oldest seasonal festival of humankind. In the old language of Wales, that celebration was called Albarnathen, which I believe means light for the winter. And that's all part of the old druidic culture, the winter solstice being associated, you know, with life and rebirth and the sun returns to us. In fact, there's a a lovely um, prehistoric monument called Newgrange. That was built in Ireland around 3200 BC. And that's associated with the um, Albanathen celebrations. When we look back in history to ancient Rome, of course, everybody knows about Saturnalia. That began on December 17th and lasted for seven days. And it honored Saturn, the Roman god of agriculture. And there were lots of carnivals, a bit like the Mardi Gras, um, you know, apparently it could get quite out of order, all that Saturnalia stuff. And it did continue, I think, well into the fourth century AD. As the Roman Empire came under Christian influence and eventually Christian rule, some of the festival's customs were melded into celebrations surrounding Christmas and the New Year. That is always going to happen. Is it only Europeans that mark the seasons? Of course not. Everybody loves the seasons, and all the farmers need to know the demarcation lines. Um there's winter solstice, has its uh also has great roots in ancient Chinese culture. Um I think it's pronounced Dongzhou, and the, that name translates roughly as the extreme of winter. So they thought, the Chinese, this was the apex of um the apex of yin yin representing the darkness and the cold and the stillness, thus thus the longest day of the winter. And uh, Dongzhe marks the return of yang, the slow ascendance into light and warmth. And apparently on these uh, festivals, people like to eat a lot of dumplings and rice balls. Well, I do love a nice dumpling, don't you? Who doesn't love a nice dumpling? So I might show up for one of those one day. What else do we have? There was something back in Cornwall, back in the UK. Yes, the Montel Festival. Um, Cornwall's known for pirates, really. (laughs) Um, Especially Penzance on the southwest coast of England. And they have revived um, quite a few Cornish solstice events that lead up to the winter solstice. Uh, Interesting stuff um, to look into there. Then, of course, there's Stonehenge. Now, I remember Stonehenge back in the day, you could actually show up there and you could lay on the stones and do whatever you want. It's all closed up now. And the only people that can go there are um, bona fide druids who get permission to do their ceremonies there during the seasonal cycles. Um, I, I'm presuming that because of this sham demic crap, all of this stuff has been banned one way or the other. Um, but I also remember... We used to go to Stonehenge and get pretty stoned. And the veil can be thin in places like this. And there have been stories of people what we used to call smoking the stone. (laughs) Used to smoke some really strong tie stick or something back in those days. And uh, if you do this when the veil is very thin and you're not in a really good grounded place, people have gone missing. Um, Strange but true. What else is there? What do we got here? Canada, further north, up in Canada. Uh, apparently, Vancouver has a wonderful winter solstice lantern festival. And apparently, it's a sparkling celebration of solstice traditions from all around the world. That would be lovely. Lots of food and drink and uh, spectacular lanterns um, and lots of dancing. This year, unfortunately, I think they're going to do it via Zoom. That's very sad. Scandinavians, of course, uh, so many of these winter holidays, uh, they they stem from Norsemen and Scandinavians. And they have uh, St. Lucia Day. They observe these ancient festivals um, and they merge them with newer traditions, of course, to create the holiday season as we know it today. So St. Lucia Day in the Scandinavians is December the 13th, which is, I think, the solstice by the older calendar. And that marks the start of the Christmas season. And uh, young women in white robes and red sashes, with wreaths of candles on their heads, sounds dangerous to me. Um, they, well, they process as processions of young women will do. They process down the road, lighting the way through the darkness of winter, honouring Saint Lucy. Um, so it's all a pagan winter solstice celebration, bonfires. Ginger snap, saffron-flavored buns and glog, which is revolting. I don't know why anybody, just Scandinavians, just get yourselves a cold beer. Glog is revolting. But, you know, it's it mixed in the ancient solstice stuff with all the Christian stuff. Lots of fun. Uh, in Iran, there is uh, something called uh, Shabi Yalda. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. All of my uh, Persian friends are going to call me up tomorrow and tell me that I did. Um, and it's uh, it means birth, I believe, and it's family gatherings and candles and fires, lit all night, poetry readings, feasts, fruits, nuts, watermelon, pomegranates, whatever. And if you eat fruit in Iran during the winter solstice celebration, well, the fruits of the summer will protect you from illness in winter. How wonderful is that? I'm sure it has nothing to do with a lovely surplus of vitamin C. What else do we have? Uh, Someone said, oh, in Japan, we have toji, or is it tojai? I don't know. I think it's toji. They have some interesting customs there. So traditionally, there's a winter squash there called a kabocha, and you eat that. And probably because it would have been one of the very few crops that would have been available because it survived. And then apparently people have hot baths with yuzu citrus fruits and That will refresh the body, of course, and ward off illness. Um, And I suppose it soothes your skin as well. Uh, So there you are. Um, Interesting stuff going on there. And in Guatemala, uh, I think that they mix, because they're Catholic now, I think they mix the Feast of St. Thomas, which is generally on July the 3rd, but they celebrate it in the winter solstice as well. Um, Because, you know... All over the world, Catholics went and messed things up. And so there in Guatemala, I suppose they would have mixed some of their Mayan rituals with uh, you know, the Catholic rituals. And it's all something new now. But of course, it's brightly colored costumes and masks and parades. Fire, you've got to have fire, music. Uh, but in Guatemala, they do this one thing called the flying pole dance. So whoever has the guts climbs this 100-foot pole... And you sort of get on this pole, and then you jump off the top. Uh, Why would you do that? But, hey, it's tradition. So there we are. That's what's going on. What do we have here? Um, Our Hopi tribe here, the indigenous people of present day northern Arizona. Uh, That's part of their religious tradition, the um, winter solstice, the Kachina, where they have spirits representing the natural world. And the tribal chief, of course, leads the ceremony, and they welcome the sun back into its summer path with ritual dances. We need more ritual dances. We've forgotten ritual dancing, and it's so important, I think. I'm going to have to give that some thought, how we can bring that back into modern life. So they give gifts to children. They pray for the coming year. They sing. They tell stories. Um, There's prayer sticks and kachina dolls, and oh, it's just groovy. Um, What else? Oh, I mentioned Newgrange in Ireland, and that is a really ancient tomb there, an ancient temple which is aligned to the winter solstice. There's a small opening above the entrance, and it fills with light on several sunrises surrounding the solstice, gradually extending throughout the chamber to illuminate it. Apparently, it's quite dramatic, and this effect lasts for 17 minutes. Um, no one really knows the history of it but we speculate it was to mark the beginning of a new year and you know the whole death and rebirth and the triumph of light over darkness can you be there for that 17 minutes yes you can but you have to apply for a lottery drawing to be inside the temple at the moment of the sunrise otherwise you're outside in the cold with everybody else So a very exciting, a very important time of year for everyone. And there's so many ceremonies over the world. We can't talk about them all because it would go on forever and then you would get terribly, terribly bored. So there we are. I grew up in the UK, as we all know. And over there, we were heavily influenced by Scandinavian and Germanic traditions. Um, The Yule log, I remember, that was a must to have both in the fireplace and on the table. And quite a few people have written in about that. How did it become Christmas? Well, it didn't become Christmas. It's still solstice. But to the victor go the spoils and the right to rename everything. If you're imposing your religion on people who already have a solid set of beliefs, it makes sense to place your template of celebrations over theirs. So they still have the holiday, but under a new name and a different set of beliefs. You know, because you don't want to rewrite everything all over again. People already hate you. You've already ruined their way of life. You're imposing your values on them. You want to make the transition as smooth as possible. All right. Well, that's a little bit about solstice. So let's move on to the main portion of the show. I have mislaid my cocktail. It's in this room somewhere. I'm going to have to go look for it. Okay. Let's move to the main portion of the show. <clears throat> Excuse me, which is quack. Questions, answers, and comments. My darlings, if you have anything to share, write to me. Send me an email, arnie at arnieavidissian.com, or snail mail to Cosmic Arnie, P O Box, 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, USA. And please let me know if and how you wish to be identified, or I shall be forced to refer to you as omit. Personal details. All right. Oh, oh, I see my cocktail. I see my cocktail. Hang on. Don't go away. I have to go get it. Otherwise, the show's for naught. I'll be right back. All right, everyone, don't panic. I've got my cocktail. All is well. Let's shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and see what falls out. All right. So, first off, I've got a postcard from Sonia in St. Paul, Minnesota, who asks, hey, Ani, do all planets in our solar system have a winter equinox? Well, yes, they do. They do, actually. The planets in Earth's solar system have solstices, equinoxes, and seasons too. So each planet rotates on a tilted axis, as does ours, um, and that's the reason why the weather changes, of course. But, you know, the bigger the tilt, the bigger the difference in weather during the seasons. So Uranus, for example, is apparently, I'm told by NASA, not a space agency. I'm told it's tilted by 82 degrees. So that planet deals with 20 year long seasons and some very quirky weather. Whoa. So I did a little bit of research here. All right. And uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm reading the chat that's coming up. Um, I'm glad everyone's trying to help me with uh, finding my lost drink. I have found my drink. Don't panic. Don't panic. So Venus, a season in Venus is 55 to 58 days. Here on Earth, it's 90 to 93 days. On Mars, a season is about seven months. Jupiter, three years. Saturn about 7 years, Uranus about 20 years, or the standing joke with Uranus or a lot longer if you would just relax, and Neptune apparently more than 40 years per season. So if you have a really dreadful winter, it's going to go on for 40 years. Ooh. And I didn't look up Pluto because um not the dog, the planet, as apparently it's been downgraded a-, a while ago and it's no longer a planet. So sorry Pluto. Um, anyway, how the residents of those other planets celebrate the seasons, well, I don't know, and I should, and I'm going to put that on my list of questions for my E.T. peeps the next time we chat formally, which I think will be the first or second week of January 2021. Well, um, thanks for the question, Sonia. Now we all know how lucky we are not to be living on Neptune. Blessings of the season, Sonia, to you and yours. All right, moving on. What else have we got? What else have we got? Another question, and this is from Omit Personal Details. Dear Arnie, that's me, why do we place such emphasis on Yule logs over the Christmas season? Well, Omit Personal Details, do you mean the chocolate cake version of the Yule log or the wooden version? because it's easy to see why we love the cake version so much, um, I think you probably mean the wooden Yule log. Well, I know a thing or two about this, because I was raised in the UK. We're very big on logs in the UK. So here's the scoop as I understand it. Well, the Yule log is not a Christmas tradition. It's much older than that. As far as we know, it was started by the Norse people, modern day Norwegians, Yar. Ja. and as far as we know, it did not start out as a log, but as a tree, the whole tree. Families would go out and pick the tree and place the fresh green tree in their homes. Now, in addition to providing warmth, um, there's a great deal of symbolism attached to this, of course. Choosing the tree was a sacred duty. It was done by the whole family, and it represented the eternal cycle of life. So bringing the greenery into your home, honoring Mother Nature and her realm of fae and sprite and elemental and spirit, bringing the tree into your home, well, that was considered an essential duty and part of coexisting with the energies of the land. As far as I know, And I say that a lot because I don't think we really know anything. Who writes history anyway? But as far as we understand, the tree was not necessarily burnt continuously, but each night for 12 nights. And the whole family, multiple families, would participate in the lighting ceremony. You know, burning the tree, burnt away the old, made room for the new. And as people in colder climates uh, eagerly awaited the arrival of spring, this was a very popular protocol. The tree was placed in the fireplace. Of course, most of it was jutting out into the living space. And you're probably thinking, oh, Arnie, don't be stupid. How can you put a whole tree in your fireplace? Well, you have to remember that way back then, Norse families had communal housing with exceptionally large fireplaces. So as the houses became smaller, so did the fireplaces. So I guess that's when we switched from the Yule tree to Yule logs. Now you light the tree by the wood from the remnants of last year's tree. So whatever was left of the tree after the 12th night of burning, you know, it had to burn for 12 nights, Yule being the darkest time of the year, what was a remnant um, was preserved and kept. And in some communities, the ash from the burnt logs was considered magic and it was used as medicine um, and also as fertilizer. Uh, medicine, fertilizer, fertilizer, medicine. <laughs> so for the now Christianized countries who include the Yule log in their celebrations, the smaller log is brought into the home on Christmas Eve. And it is not necessarily tended carefully for 12 nights. Um, in fact, the Yule log custom for most parts of the world has morphed into the chocolate Yule log cake. No complaints by me. No one is 100 percent sure when that happened when we went from log to chocolate cake log but i think we can trace it back as we start looking at some of the recipes and and all um as early as the 1600s and at that time cake making became a little bit more sophisticated and people started using marzipan and meringue and uh, you know anything else they could think of to impress the local lord the decorations became a lot more sophisticated um I think that's all I remember. Well, thank you for the question. And blessings of the season to you and yours. And now I will have to go out and buy a Yule log cake. Uh, I don't know that there's any really good bakers uh, where I live. I should have thought ahead. I should have ordered one from Andres Confisserie Suisse in Kansas City, Missouri. I can't imagine they wouldn't have the best one around. If any of our listeners live in the Kansas City area and have not been to Andres, what the heck are you waiting for? The best chocolate I have ever tasted in my life came from Andre's. Um, I don't have a relationship with them, unfortunately, otherwise I'd be as big as a house, but Andre's Confectionery Swiss in Kansas City, Missouri. They make it the old fashioned way and they make it properly. Uh, all right, now I'm hungry. Okay, but at least I have my cocktail and I have some cranberries in the bottom of that, so that's food. All right, what else do we have in the fishbowl or perpetual perplexity? Let me have a little drinky poo. I'm getting a little <clears throat> dry here. Mm. That is a very interesting cocktail. I didn't know that it would work, but it blends so really well together. Yummy. Here's an, e- email. an email. For whatever reason today, dear listeners, um, I can't talk. So hang in there and we'll see what I'm trying to say. This is from Barry, who lives in Shropshire in the UK, a place where it rains a lot. And he asks, dear Annie, why is everything green and red at Christmas? Why not white since it snows? Well, it doesn't snow everywhere, of course. Um, Barry, why is everything green and red? Well, it goes back to pre-Christian Celts and the Solstice celebrations. They believed that the holly plant, in addition to being cool, unusual, weird and beautiful, they believed it had magical powers and that it brought good fortune to the home. So holly is red, of course, and green. So the early Celts, they festooned, I love that word, they festooned their homes with red and green holly, which caught on with other communities, and it was passed down. You know, decking the hall with boughs of holly became decking the halls with red and green colours. They thought the oak was the controller of of the light half of the year, you know, the lighted, half of the year, and the holly controlled the dark, the winter months. So it also shares another quality with the oak, which the Celtic druids also thought was sacred. Um, Apparently, holly and both holly and oak are resistant to lightning because their spiky little leaves act as mini-conductors. So they associated those plants with the Norse gods of thunder, uh, Taranis and Thor, and uh, they often planted their holly near dwellings to protect people from lightning strikes. They also believed, the Druids, that the holly had uh, protective qualities, guarding against evil spirits and witchcraft. And they thought that bringing the leaves inside during the winter months would provide shelter from the cold for the fairy folk, because then the fairy folk would come and they would live in the holly. And in return for that shelter, they would be kind to the people who inhabited the dwelling. Well, isn't that something? What else happened? Oh, yes. The When a Celtic chieftain was chosen, a wreath of holly was put as a crown on its head for good luck, on his head for good luck. And also newborn babies were bathed in the water from the leaves to protect them from harm. That's interesting. They never cut the holly... With metal, I believe they cut it with wooden scissors and uh, taking cuttings from holly is okay. I think only the sort of the shamans did it, but um, because it, you know, it was protective, but it was taboo to cut down a whole tree. And I have to say, I'm very fond of the holly. I do think it's rather magical. Um, I have a friend here in Oregon who's a master gardener who cannot make her property native to Oregon plants only, um, as as she wanted. Because when we went to bless her property, there was a holly bush there. And the Fae folk said, "'Do not let her cut down the holly tree. It is sacred to us.'" So she couldn't uh, turn her garden, uh, Oregon native plants only. I hope you don't hold that against me, Um, but it's sacred to this day for them. I hope she doesn't resent me for that. Uh, How did Christians incorporate the holly into their belief system? Well, they made up a whole other story about it. Um, uh, Yes, I did say wooden scissors uh, there in chat. Um, Or, you know, a wooden knife. It wouldn't have been scissors. Uh, They said, the Christians said that um, Holly would have made up part of the crown of thorns worn by Jesus during his crucifixion. Um, I I personally don't believe there was a crucifixion, so I'm not going along with that. But... um, And they said that it was the blood of Christ that stained the holly berries red. Um, And they said, holly, it's holy. Holly, holy. Holly berries, by the way, are poisonous to humans, so don't eat them. But birds can eat them, so it's a good winter source for them. Um, You know, there's a lot of medicine associated with the holly tree. I use a flower essence by Batch, B-A-C-H, Batch Flower Essences by Edward Batch. Um, I use holly for people who are really stuck in jealousy and fear and have difficulty opening up to love. And uh, Dr. Batch, he did say himself, holly protects us from everything that is not universal love. Holly opens the heart and unites us with divine love. That's why everything's green and red. And in 1931, the Coca-Cola company hired this chap. uh, I think his name, he's got a strange name. I think something like Haddon Sundblom, uh, a a Michigan chap, an illustrator. And they said, Coca-Cola said, look, make Santa real. Let's have a definitive Santa. Because up until that time, there were all sorts of St. Nick's and Santas, etc. But there wasn't just one definitive thing. So this chap or this Sundblom chap from, from Michigan, he went ahead and he designed this bearded man decked in red and white, um, the the red being very close to, to Coca-Cola's branding of red. Uh, and they surrounded this chap, uh, you know, bordered in green. And that was it. Santa Claus was born drinking Coca-Cola, <laughs> delivering presents, interacting with children, And that ad, that particular stereotype of Santa ran continuously, I think, every year from 1931 to 1964. And so that solidified the red and the green. And, of course, we also had fir trees, we have hollies, we have poinsettias, and there we are. It's all red and green. So there we are. Thank you, Druids, and thank you, Chappie from Michigan. And thank you, Barry. That is why we go red and green at Christmas. Thank you, thank you for writing in blessings of the season to you and yours. Okay, let's take one more question or so. on shaking up this little fishbowl here. Let's see what pops up. Uh, again, this is from Omet. Personal Details, who says, Arnie, come January the 6th, insurrection act, yea or nay? Soldiers on the streets, yea or nay? Will states secede from the Union, yea or nay? Well, if POTUS has left no other choice, it will have to be the Insurrection Act, won't it? And I don't think you need a massive military intervention for that. But it's good to know that since it was the military brass and the NSA top brass who asked POTUS to run for office, it's good to know that their support is going to be there if needed. When I do like a little remote view into the week of January the 6th, around about then, um, when I send my vision forward to that week and the week after, I actually do. I do see lots of uniforms um, and some of them on the streets. And I do see confusion. And although that's nothing new, I mean, people have been in a state of confusion for some time now. um, I am seeing uniforms. So one way or the other, we might have to bring in the troops. I'm not saying martial law, but look, they're having to get soldiers to go and take a look at these dominion machines, aren't they? I mean, we're being denied access left, right and center. So who knows what's going to happen? All I know for sure is this. We cannot allow the globalists, the Luciferian globalists of the new world order to take office. We just cannot allow that. Patriots have to stay in power. We have to continue exposing the corruption and, uh, you know, sooner than better. Sooner, the better. The sooner, the better. Wake up, honey. Let me just reboot myself. Boop, boop, boop. Ah, that's better. All right. What do we need to see? We need to see all of this stuff called out publicly in no uncertain terms. And no matter how it will affect society's already fractured psyche, We've got to tell the truth. We need to see some arrests and some seriously bad ass sentencing. There's no way can we allow these cold-hearted, self-absorbed, money-grabbing, demented sociopaths to have any say in how this country is run. We have come too far, risked too much to fail. In politics, it means bugger all right now. This is about morality. This last year taught us many useful lessons how many of you out there had your relationships overhauled you know now um i really should answer this chap's question instead of pontificating as for states seceding from the union well i don't know are we all going to go live in texas i don't mind the weather's better there i do hope it doesn't come to that but if it does well Many people do ask, you know, do I think the world is going to split in 2 the new world order portion with the vaccinated robot slaves uh, and then the free thinkers who value soul sovereignty and understand the meaning of freedom and consent? I don't think we're going in that direction, but every day brings with it new surprises. So we'll know when we know. But either way, it won't be much longer. I think there's going to be trouble, Barry. I don't think it's going to be cataclysm. I think there'll be temporary chaos. But like all things, it just comes to a head and boils and boils and boils and boils. And then it all boils over. And then people look at what's left in the pot and go, oh, so that's what we're working with, is it? All right. And then suddenly, everything that everybody was shouting about and going mad about and having hissy fits about, that's the new normal. So thanks, Barry, for writing in. Stay strong in your truth. Let them challenge the light, if they wish. In the end, there is only light. And in the end, God always wins. So, blessings of the season to you, matey, and thanks for writing in. Okay, let me have a little sip of my drinky poo here. Okay. (coughs) All right. Folks, this being the Christmas edition... We're not going to have the cryptic mystic today. We're not going to have Plato Chips, the philosopher, today. And we're not going to do tarot, a go-go. But they will all be back in January on the next Metaphysical Martini. I just thought we'd keep it a little bit loose today, because um, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little disoriented and distracted today. Uh, what shall we do, though? I would like to read some poetry. It is Christmas so let's do 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 a little pat of poetry yes folks after a hard day's charming i like nothing better than coming home putting my feet up having a nice cup of tea or usually a small drinky poo, and writing really bad but occasionally brilliant non peer reviewed poetry i have two offerings for you today One is A Short Little Ditty, written last year by yours truly, titled Ode to a Christmas Pudding. And the other one, I'm going to read one of my favourite poems of all times, regardless of the season, T'was the Night Before Christmas by Clement Clarke Moore. Okay, here is my little ditty, Ode to a Christmas Pudding. I'll just put in there, for those who don't know, I do have my own YouTube channel, which would, of course, be on YouTube, although we are now sharing with BitChute, Brighteon, Brand YouTube, which, by the way, is a real pain in the ass to work with because they don't have any help files or any help desks. But we are trying to put all of my videos on as many platforms as possible. But if you go to YouTube, all 104 videos are up there. Just put my name, Arnie Avedisian, in the YouTube search bar, and all my lovely poems and little thingies will come up. And, of course, uh, Cosmic Reality Radio is also on YouTube and on podcast.po..co, dot, dot or it should be dot ho, ho, ho for Christmas. Um, it's really tedious, people, keeping up with all these social media platforms. But because of this ridiculous censorship, which, praise God, will be over soon, we have no choice but to put our stuff all over the place. So if you have trouble finding our stuff, drop me a line Ode to a Christmas Pudding. A Christmas Pudding is a noble beast, revered and welcomed at every feast. When doused with brandy and set aflame, the wildest heart is soothed and tamed. O Pudding, your virtues would fill a leather-bound tome. Therefore, I welcome you, good Pudding, into my home thank you very much. I'm very fond of that little poem. I'm even fonder of Christmas pudding. All right, let us read my favourite poem, The Night Before Christmas, by Clement Clark Moore. Everybody take a deep breath, get your hot chocolate and your cocoa, put a goodly splash of bourbon or brandy in it, and let's get into the Christmas spirit. a long winter's nap when out of the lawn there arose such a clatter i sprang from the bed to see what was the matter away to the window i flew like a flash tore open the shutters and threw up the sash the moon on the breast of the new fallen snow gave the luster of midday to the objects below when what to my wandering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. (sighs) With a little old driver, so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles, his courses they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now, Dasher, now, Dancer, now, Prancer and Vixen, O Comet! Oh, Cupid, on, Donna, Blitzen, let's get a move on, guys. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the house top, the as they flew, with a sleigh full of toys, and, of course, St. Nicholas, too. And then, in a twinkling, I heard on the roof, the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my hand and was turning around, down the chimney St Nicholas came with a bound. Plop! He was dressed all in fur, from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. Well, red would be the wrong choice of colour then, wouldn't it, for his job? But just saying, but you know, what do I know? A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard of his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. Well, that's a heart attack waiting to happen, Santa, isn't it? He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. And to all a good night. Well, isn't that really jolly? I just love all of those old poems. Um, it's just, oh gosh, I love this time of year. I really do. I remember when I was a young girl back in the UK, Christmas was a very magical time. My parents would take me to Selfridges, uh, a big department store there in London, and they would have the most spectacular Christmas windows and Harrods had great windows too and the other stores did but if I remember rightly Selfridges had the very best and we would get chestnuts roasting on an open fire from all the street vendors and that was um, actually chestnuts roasting on an open fire are not particularly delicious but it's a Christmas tradition so we would always have to have that. And then we would go and we would have ice cream in this little Italian ice creamery, even though it was minus something and we were all freezing our little fingers off. It was just a marvellous time for us. And, of course, my family, even though, you know, we're Londoners, our race ancestor is Armenian. And Armenians belong to the Eastern Orthodox Church. And our particular branch of the church celebrates Christmas on the 6th of January. So we would celebrate Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, with all of our, you know, English friends and British friends. And then there'd be New Year's celebration, which is wonderful. But then on the 6th of January, when everybody was putting their celebrations away, we had the traditional Armenian Christmas. And we would go down to the little Armenian church there in the middle of London in in Kensington uh, and, you know, have the Christmas service and then go home and have a big party with all the traditional Armenian foods. So it was many, many days, certainly 12 solid days of uh, of lots of fun and lots to eat and lots of good stuff. And I do miss the simplicity of that time where everybody went out of their way, as I recall, to be nice to each other and behave in a manner civil and courteous. And it was a tradition that people who had argued throughout the year they would make up with each other, make amends and apologize to each other, make right whatever needed to be made right. So, oh, such beautiful days, such beautiful days. Um, this Christmas, I hope you are all not obeying the lockdown because the protesting, it's beginning to have an effect. Governors are a bit wobbly. They're already, I bet you all of them are on their last raw nerve. Um, in Salem here, down uh, just south of me, in Oregon, uh, patriots tried to break into, uh, you know, state government meetings and were denied access. And a little bit of it got a little bit ugly. Um, the patriots behaved well. One person did not, and the police did not behave particularly well that day, I thought. And I'm usually very generous on the side of, uh you know, on the side of the police because I have so many police officers in my family Um, ah, well you know that's just how it goes well I'm going to have a quiet Christmas my partner and I are going to stay home not because we've been told to but because we have chosen to this year we're usually running around like blue-ass flies checking on friends who are elderly or you know um, disabled not doing well this year for whatever reason everybody has someone to take care of them So we're going to stay at home, and we're not going to do bad snacking. We're going to do good snacking, healthy snacking. We're not going to drink too much. We're going to reflect on what 2020 has taught us, which is plenty. And we're going to set our intentions for 2021. So we're not quite finished with the show, but almost, because I'm almost finished with my drink. Um, And before I just, you know, sign off and uh, give you my cocktail recipes and all of that, I just want to say a really big thank you to Cosmic Reality Radio for calling me a couple of years ago and asking me if I wanted to have a show because I've wanted to do a podcast for a long time, but I never had any interest from anybody because I fall outside everybody's niche market Um, And I'm just so grateful to Nancy for calling me and giving me this opportunity. I have really enjoyed this show and I hope I will enjoy it for as long as they will allow me to make it. And I want to thank all of the listeners for listening in, for giving us feedback, for taking the time to write in uh, with your questions and your answers um, and comments as well. For all the lovely emails and all the beautiful gifts that people send me from martini glasses to innumerable bottles of vodka and gin and vermouths of every conceivable shade. I just thank you. I just love you all so much. It is so wonderful to hear from you. Otherwise, you think that you're just sitting here and it's all going out into the ether and not making a difference anywhere. And I particularly enjoy all of you who um, who write in and who share the videos, share the podcasts. I'm just honoured that you would give me the time of day. Thank you all very, very much. Now, it's almost it for today because I've almost finished my drink, but not quite. Let me just say, I made a very special Christmas cocktail this time. And today's real-life cocktail is called Christmas in Rio. And that's made with the Bedlam Rice Vodka, which is the No Burn Vodka, carefully crafted by Greybeard Distillery in Durham, South Carolina. And here's the recipe. You have to go get yourself 10 fresh cranberries. Then you get half a lime, which you're going to quarter and muddle. That's about roughly half an ounce of lime juice. Three quarters of an ounce of demerara syrup, which is a simple sugar, two to one, made with sugar in the raw, the demerara sugar half an ounce of Grand Marnier, and one and a half ounces of excellent bedlam rice vodka. And here's how you make it. So you muddle the cranberries, and then the lime in the bottom of a cocktail shaker. Then you add the remaining ingredients with ice, and shaky, 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 until sufficiently chilled. Then you pour all the contents into a glass with rocks, And you enjoy it. It is delicious. It is refreshing. And I have to say, even though I have no relationship with them, um, other than, oh, hello, you boys are lovely. uh, I love the team at Bedlam Vodka. They're really good people. They take pride in making a top quality product. And you can make this cocktail with a grain or potato based vodka. But if you have an adventurous palate and you have the chance to try a bottle of Bedlam, go for it. It's distilled from long-grain rice grown in Arkansas and Louisiana. It's gluten-free. It's based on a 170-year-old family recipe, which does come from Bedlam in Ireland. There is a place called Bedlam in Ireland. It's unique and flavorful and smooth, and it does not have that antiseptic burn. And if, like me, at Christmas, you may drink a little bit too much, you'll um, you'll enjoy not having that burn. So... Bedlam Vodka, lovely website, lovely people, and their motto is live rebelliously. So, hey, if they can redefine the bounds of vodka, we can redefine the way we run this country. If you can't find it at your local liquor store, go to bedlamvodka.com and order it online. And a quick shout out to my local liquor store here in Wilsonville, Oregon, Stafford Beverage in North Wilsonville. Excellent selection, really courteous staff. And they wow me every time, those boys, with their product knowledge. Plus, they have beer and wine, one-stop shopping. What could be better? When a company says it's committed to providing customers with a fresh and unique and inviting experience and actually comes through with it, it's a miracle because it's everyone's advertising and no talk. But my peeps at Stafford Beverage, they come through and we love you. So my darlings, now I have finished my drink and that does mean the end of the show. So I will say, remember my darlings, remember, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. Hey, if any liquor stores out there are interested in sponsoring any part of this show, because I don't really have any sponsors, drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. Blessed solstice to you all. A Merry Christmas to you all. I'm Arnie Avedisian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, my darlings, Merry Christmas. Let the spirit inhabit the spirit or even the human. <laughs> you have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abedisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio.